Welcome to Cooper and Company, where politics meets people. We are so excited to have you take time out of your busy schedule. The mission of this podcast is to engage, inspire, educate, and entertain. I hope the conversations that I have with today's trailblazers in education, business, politics, international policy, and more inspire you to do more with the platform that you have. By the way, thanks so much to my associate producer, Cindy Lynn, for assisting me with this whole podcast production. Our guest today is Mr. Greg Tanaka. Mr. Tanaka is a second generation Chinese American from his mom's side and a fourth generation Japanese American from his dad's side. He is a UC Berkeley and Caltech alumni and has lived in Palo Alto since 2004. His son attends Poly and his daughter attends Green, where he also coaches the robotics team. Greg has been involved in city government for about 11 years, acting as city council finance chair, among other positions. Now he is serving his second term as city council member and is planning to run for United States Congress in 2022. Thank you so much, Greg, for joining us today. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure, of course. Well, please, first of all, thank you for this opportunity. Um, great chatting with you. Um, great chatting with someone that also ran for Congress. I think that's amazing. Um, I think I think it's important to get uh, more people, uh, more diversity, actually, in the elected office. So I think I think it's amazing what you did. Thank um, so, you. Yeah, so a little bit more about myself. So just in terms of background, I grew up in LA. So I started in LA um, and then uh, went to high school down in Orange County. And then you're correct about the universities, you know, Caltech and Berkeley. Uh, I started as, as mainly an engineering major, so I I have I have a fairly strong technical background. So electrical engineering, computer science. Started out, you know, mainly doing like chip design, software engineering, and then I moved mm-hmm. over to the business side, doing like product management, sales, marketing, things like that, and entrepreneurship. So it's like third startup, uh, so startup company, raised uh, venture capital. Yeah, so that's been my kind of like mainly professional route. But then I I made a kind of like a detour or started dipping my toe into kind of more community type things. And and that was mainly because of, I was living in this condo complex in Mountain View, which is in the neighboring city. And I wanted to be able to put a laundry unit in my, in my comp, in my unit, because I was on the third mm-hmm. floor and the laundry units were on the first floor. And I had to like lug all my laundry down and bring it all the way back up. And so when I went to talk to the HOA board about, Hey, can I, can I uh, get a laundry unit in my, in my, um, my unit? They were like, no, nope, can't do it. But we have an opening for a treasure. And, and, you know, for, this, for most HOAs, they're desperate to get people to, to volunteer. Yeah. So I volunteered for it. And, um, you know, after working with, with the other board members for that, they said, oh, yeah, we could do a laundry unit. No problem. So I was, I was <laughs> able to course. get a laundry unit in my, in my, in my unit. And it, it was the first time I realized, you know, you can sort of sit around and complain about something or you can actually do something to change it. Okay. And, and so that's how I kind of got, got into this because, because, um, if you looked at, look at my high school yearbook, you probably see the guy most likely not to run for, for political office. Oh, that's hilarious. And yeah. here you are running for political office. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I didn't do student council. I didn't do that, you know, more traditional things that a lot of people do um, in school. Um, I was very much a STEM, a very nerdy STEM kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it just, it was that, it was that, this laundry unit thing that got me into it. Like, I, and I realized, oh, wow, you could, you could actually affect change. You could actually complain about it or you could be part of the change and so when I moved to Palo Alto I lived in a I bought a house that's kind of on busy street uh so when we got our house it was on a bit a bit of a busy street and my wife you know we were like little kids at the time and worried about the kids getting run over 
uh, I got involved in the neighborhood and we got involved in like traffic calming efforts, then residential permit parking programs. I, I became president of my neighborhood association. Uh, one of the planning commissions got elected to city council. And then I had a lot of people say, hey, you should, you, you should um, be on planning commission. Um, so mm-hmm. I became on planning commission. And then, you know, one of the things that we also wanted was a um, lift was to live near downtown to be near walkable. You know, we weren't able to get a house near there. So my downtown was this other street called California Avenue, which was kind of our our downtown. So mm-hmm. I, I did a lot of work around re- the revitalization of that. Now Calab is actually pretty hopping, so it's it's, it's a pretty nice. amazing. Um, so I, we kind of we kind of made our downtown in in some ways. So that's what I did on planning commission, and then and then what was interesting is uh, one of the mayors of Palo Alto, one of the former mayors of Palo Alto, was trying to ban software development in our city. And my and my company, you know, did nothing but software development. And so I was thinking, wait a second, I don't, I don't think, you know, in our city, Palo Alto, this is the birthplace of Facebook, of HP, of Google, mm-hmm. a bunch of other companies, uh, which did a lot of software. I didn't, I didn't think that was the right thing to do. So that's that's how I, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I got involved in um, considering city council because a lot of people asked me. I was one of the longest serving planning commissioners, and yeah. a lot of people asked me, hey, you know, you should you should run for city council. And, you know, I was busy, you know, little kids, startup, you know, just really busy with my life. And the planning commission, you know, was already kind of busy. But mm-hmm. that was one of the things, that's one of the catalysts that made me kind of run for city council. But the other big thing is, you know, if you look at like uh, city council members, even now, I'm, I'm one of the few city council members who act, that actually has, that's actually working. <laughs> and then also um, has kids in the school district, right? Most of the other city council members, either, you know, their kids are, are way past, you know, have already grown up. Or yeah. they don't have kids, right? There's very few people who are you know, working families that actually are serving on city council. So, but the, but the majority of people in our city actually are families, the people that come here for the schools. So, our, so our city is known for really good schools. So a lot of families come here; they will do whatever it takes to, to be in our city. Um, you know, stress themselves really thin financially to be here, including my own family. And yet, there's not much there's not much representation. So kind of like my other big motivator for city council was how come nobody else on city council represents the working families, right? The people that actually right. um, come to our city, uh, which I think is like the majority of our city come to our city for their great schools. Uh, but most, both, most people that come to our city, they actually have to have two incomes, right? They're working and they're have kids in the school district, but that's not represented on city council. And I think the main reason why is because people are really busy. That, that kind of demogra- mm-hmm. demographic is really busy. They're busy helping the kids with the homework. They're busy trying to earn enough to live in our city. Um, but because they're so busy, they don't have time to actually be on things like city council. So I felt like that voice needed to be heard, the voices of families. So that was kind of like my other big motivator. That's so that's how I got on city council. I think that's really great that you're, you're you know, representing. And I think that you're going to be a great role model for other people who've been kind of on the fence or hesitant about running for office. And I also think that a lot of people um, have asked me, oh, I, there's no way I would run for Congress. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned it earlier, you you run for anything, like anything local, any you, HOA. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. I mean, that's where it really starts that you initiate change. And I really agree with the fact that if you see a problem, it first, it's good to understand where this problem is coming from. What mm-hmm. What's the delay? What's the problem? And for me, I've always said, okay, well, I'm going to get in to whatever committee I need to be on and figure out what the problem is. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I started with PTA. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of parents were complaining about this and that. And I said, well, you know, let me just try to volunteer where I can. Yeah. So I volunteered and volunteered. 
And um, I ended up, you know, saying, hey, I want to run for president. My time is as limited as anybody else's. But at the same time, it became really important that I understood the problems that why something has happened, the triggers for everything. Mm -hmm. Do you do you find that at all, especially being a council member? I mean, do you find that it's easier to understand the the dynamics of how things the inner workings of things as to why it creates a problem for something or an issue i i think you you kind of hit the nail on the head you know i I think city council historically in our city has been mainly for retired people right i mean you Mm. only go on city council if you're retired right because city council members really don't get paid we get like a small stipend but it's not even minimum wage there's a lot of people who don't serve because um they're busy you know it doesn't it doesn't really pay the voice of working families aren't heard. So like, for instance, one of the things I championed was a skate park, right? So um, one of the high school kids here, um, you know, noticed that there's like a lack of skate parks or, or, or kind of beginner friendly skate parks in our city. No other council member really cared. Like, ah, oh, you know, I don't have kids. They don't, you know, what's a big deal, right? What's mm-hmm. this, what do we need skate parks, right? You know, I have kids, right? And actually I also skateboard and- Oh, that's uh, cool. But I don't, I don't do the tricks for the skate. I, I do, uh-huh. I, I, I skateboard using electric skateboard. So oh, it's actually electric longboard. So I use it really to commute. So yeah. I use it oh, that's to great. get from point A to point B. But so I don't, I don't, I wouldn't use, I'm not a skate park user myself, but I skateboard. So I kind of understand. But because like I have kids and, you know, my kids have friends and they, they talked about the need for the skate park. And I, I you know, so that kind of, that kind of resonated, resonated with me. So I, I worked with a sophomore um, at the, one of the local high schools. And, you know, it took us like, I don't know, six months, eight months to finally get my, fellow council members on board with this idea. Oh, wow. But my fellow council members were like, why do we need a skate park? We're having all these budget cuts. <laughs> like, but you know, we were able to get over the line because we were able to build up support in the community. I put pressure mm-hmm. on my colleagues. And then also there also were a lot of community members willing to actually donate to build the skate park. So oh nice. But but I think because really the voice of families are so underrepresented. And it's not just mm-hmm. on city council. I mean you look at Congress, right? You look at the average age of people in Congress, right? Or look, you look at my Congress member, right? She's like, she'll be 80 years old next year, right? So wow. it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a, there's such a gap between who's, you know, who the elected representative is versus, mm-hmm. you know, who's actually in the district, right? Or in the city. And sometimes, you know, the, the voices of, of the community aren't really heard because of that. And I, I think that needs to change. And so I, I actually believe that we need um, younger people running, running for elected office, because it can't just be, I, I realized that incumbents, especially for Congress tend to get reelected because there's so much advantages that you have as an incumbent. Oh, but, I, I believe in term limits. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You and I both. Yes. I think, okay. So on city council, we could run two terms and mm-hmm. I think that's actually a good thing. I think that we want fresh perspectives you want kind of like the diversity of opinion and ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that's actually a good thing uh, because I think when, when people are like fixtures, right, they're not this kind of injection of new ideas. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think you, you start, you start running into really weird things, right. Things that, that happen that aren't necessarily in the best interest of the constituents. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I think term is, a, is actually a good thing. I mean, I, I think in all ranks of government, not just, you know, local level, but all levels, right? And so, and I think they would also bring fresh perspectives because I think like sometimes like the people here who are retired, they have very different perspectives than families. Like families here, 
in our city. I know mm-hmm. a lot of them are here barely because they, they're here for the education. And so they mm-hmm. really, they really skimp and save and do what it takes to be here. And I, I put myself in that same category. The retired people, a lot of them are independently wealthy. They don't need to work anymore. Right. They have a very different perspective. Like, oh, what's an extra hundred dollars a month? No big deal. Right. That's, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> Just to, to me, <laughs> that's a lot for families. Yeah. For, for me, that's a lot. Right. And I, I know yeah. especially during the pandemic, a lot of families here, like I know uh, one of my daughter's friend's family, um, her mom runs a small business and then the dad is unemployed right now. And they're talking about moving out of the city because they, they can't really afford to live here anymore. Yet my colleagues, they, they have no qualms about raising the utility rates. Now, what's, what's an extra 50 bucks? No, no big deal. Or like you know, last Monday, we just considered a $41 trash service contract. You know, in our city, it cost us for the standard trash bin, $50 a month, right? For, for the standard size trash, 32 gallon. In our neighboring city, it's like you know, $34, right? It's like 14, 14 plus dollars cheaper. So it's, it's not, it's like 43, so it costs, costs us for the same exact size trash cans, 43%, 43% more for the same exact trash bin, right? And to my colleagues, it's like, ah, $14 a month, what's a big deal? Like, uh, you know, that's like, mm-hmm. that's nothing. But that's $173 a year or more, right? It's and a for, lot. For families that are struggling here, it's like, I mean, you're not very sensitive to that, right? I mean, it's, I mean, yes, yes, we have Mark Zuckerberg, who's a multi-billionaire. Yes, we have Larry Page, multi-billionaire. We have some very wealthy people here, but you know, there's some people here who came here for the schools and they're barely here. They're working two jobs. They're like, they're doing whatever, they're living in a super small apartment to do whatever it takes to live here. And, and yet yeah. you're, 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 there's no, you're just so nonchalantly saying, oh yeah, yeah, these, these, these costs don't matter. It's like trivial. Like people here, ah, need a money. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. It's, it's okay to raise the fees and taxes. As you, um, start to really get into the the inner workings of what it means to run for a federal office. Have you looked at as far as what your community is? And I know you were talking about representation as far as families, but yeah. what about representations? I mean, let's state the obvious Asian Americans. Yeah. What's the demographic of Asian Americans in in your in your city? Yeah. So um in Palo Alto is 33%. So 33% Asian. Um, there's two, oh. there are two, um, Asians on city council right now. Before I was elected, there were zero. So there's zero, there zero Asians on, on city council. <laughs> Everybody's there, there like, not today, not today. <laughs> but, but, but before, but before, um, there were a, a few, but not two, two now. right now there's two, two out of the seven are Asian Americans in our right. County, in Santa Clara County, um, Asians are 38%. So Asians actually is the largest demographic in our, in our County. Um, but if you look at Congress, right? So I think in the United States, Congress, uh, there are 3% Asians in Congress and 6% mm-hmm. by population. So Asian Americans in general tend not to be, um, so, so in, in our county, uh, Asian Americans are 38% by population, but of the voting population, it's only about 15%. So Asians tend right. not to vote. Asians tend not to be very politically involved. So like, you know, when I told my dad, I was, I was going to run for city council. Can you donate to my campaign? Because I have to raise money. Because he donated right. to a bunch of other campaigns. And he looked at me and said, no, I'm, I can't, I can't donate to a campaign. I don't, I don't think Asian Americans should be in politics. He, he felt like Asian Americans should keep our heads down, our mouth shut, and, you know, try not to stand well, out. Well, there's a stereotype. Yeah. I mean, there's a stereotype that I'm in so many groups and listening and learning more that that has been just the kind of rule of thumb. Keep your head down keep plowing ahead. Don't bring any attention to yourself and keep moving, you know, and it is true. I mean, I agree with, um, I understand where he's coming from with that completely. Um, sometimes it's easier to just not do 
it at all because people don't want the attention at all. And I can say that that happens a lot. You know, a lot of people who would who think uh, just because I ran for Congress that they're like, oh, my God, you've got really a lot of kahunas to do that. <laughs> and- <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, what? I, I, you know, I think I can make a difference. I, you know, I'm the right person to do it. And um, yeah. And so I never really approached it from, we shouldn't say anything. It's not our, you know, we just need to keep our heads down, that kind of thing. Um, but I do understand when people, when people say that I could understand the sentiment of your dad. I mean, is it, well, he's, he, you said fourth generation. I'm, I'm fourth on your generation. Dad's side? So, so, my, so yeah, my big, so he's he's from America too. He's from the well, United States. He, he, so, well, it's interesting though. So, my my dad's first name is actually Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, all his brothers and sisters. So he's he's the youngest in his family. All his brothers and sisters. He had three mm-hmm. older siblings. All of them have like you know English names. But my dad has a Japanese name because um, he was born sl- slightly before World War II, and oh. um, he, and his parents thought they would have to go back to Japan. They didn't think they could stay here, so. Um, so, so my great grandfather came here from Hiroshima in 1880, um, and then, um, um, and then during uh, World War II, you know, my great grandfather, my grandfather, my dad, all got put into internment camp. Oh my um, gosh! Yeah, during World War II, and then my 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 grandfather, my dad's dad, died. Right, he died of tuberculosis in the camps, so he never, um, he never. So my dad came out fatherless. He was, I think, my dad was only five when when his dad um, died, and then. Um, after World War II, if you were Japanese in California, it's like super bad news, right? Because everyone knew someone that died in the Pacific, right? Um, so there's a lot of anti-Japanese and, and monsters right. at the time. And and my and my 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 dad's family got wiped out, right? Because you know, when 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 the announcement of the internment was like basically incarceration was announced, 120,000 Japanese had to sell everything, right? So because you couldn't pay your mortgage when you're in the camp, right? Because you couldn't you couldn't earn money. You you so there's a big fire sale, right? Everyone sold everything. My, my my family had a small wholesale business buying veggies from Japanese American farmers and then reselling it to Japanese American um, grocery stores, right? Uh-huh. And that business got wiped out, right? So basically, it started. It's like a total reset after World War II. They got they went into the camps. You had to sell everything, carry everything you had on two suitcases. And then after the after the uh, war, you came out and then you couldn't get a job, right? I mean, because no one like there's a lot of anti-Japanese sentiment. Like, we didn't want these Japs working here. All this kind of stuff. And so, um, and so, um, and so like, that's, this is why there were a lot of Japanese American gardeners is because as a, as a gardener, like this kind of, undes- it's kind of like what the, um, uh, Hispanic, um, right now that's like a lot of Hispanics that come here, like do gardening because you don't have to work for anyone, right? You're just, you're doing kind of an undesirable Your own business job. person. Mm-hmm. Own business, yeah. So, so that's why, that's why, you know, after World War II, there happened to be a lot of Japanese American gardeners is because that's, the, that's the work they can get. Um, and my dad, you know, after the war, he started picking cotton in the fields, right? Literally cotton, right? Um, this is, I guess, before there was a lot of, um, he would tell me stories about how he would fill bags of cotton, right? Um, but, but, but the thing is that, like, because there's so much- so angry. Because, because there was so much anti-Japanese discrimination at the time. Um, my dad would tell me stories about how he would get beaten up just going to school, right? And so he, he actually dropped out of high school. So he never got his high school education. Um, he joined the military, but, but anyways, it, it was kind of, um, kind of, uh, I mean, this is why also like what's not known is that, um, if you're a Japanese American, uh, a leader, um, like during war two, they kind of, 
separated you because they didn't want you, they didn't want the Japanese Americans to because 120,000 Japanese, which is a lot, right? Mm-hmm. 120,000 Japanese Americans. I mean, what were they? To, go ahead. Yeah, go they ahead. Did, they didn't want them to organize. So they, if you were a Japanese American leader, you got solitary confinement. So they 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 rounded the, the leaders up ahead of time. So my dad was saying, look, if you, you know, if there was some sort of trouble, you would like, you know, he he was saying like, um, you're a target. You would be a target, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and 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 they say like, if you want to like be in politics as an Asian American, you should go to Kauai because. Asian Americans aren't liked in California, right? But, and so my dad kind of has this feeling we're guests in this country, which I think is bullshit. <laughs> you know, I'm well, like, he's probably been traumatized as well. well we've been you here know, for like over hundred years. You've been here for over hundred for four generations. So what are you talking? Like, we're not like Americans. Who is an American, right? Like, how can we right. be guests in this country? But my dad, you know, he has this Japanese first name because like they weren't even sure they could be here. So he has this very kind of, you know, very different perspective as a result. But I and also mm. my dad, look. The way to prevent like that something like, like that happening again is for, for us to get involved, not to right. think that we're guests in this country. That's not the right attitude. We, we have to kind of lean into it, not not step away from it. But my right. dad just doesn't think that. And I, unfortunately, I think a lot of Asian Americans think like this too. That they think that that politics is for someone else, not for them. And but I think it's important to get involved, right? It's like important. It was important for me to get involved in my HOA, right? If I want yeah, to, it's kind of like could... when in Rome, you know, yeah. I mean, you have to, this is kind of how things work. I mean, you have to know who the key players are. You have, they have to know you. Yeah. They have to know what you're about. They have to know who you are. Yeah. And I think that's what people kind of miss the mark as far as why it's important to run for office. And I, like I said, I'm not talking about federal office. I mean, it could be city council. It could be for your HOA. I sure. mean, it's important because that's how you, I mean, look at the story you told earlier. They were like, no, you can't put a laundry in your in your apartment on your floor. And then you get in with the HOA and they're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, exactly. Who told you no? Yeah. 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 Or, or or like the skate park example, right? I mean, right, the skate park is a great this, example. This kid yes. really, you know, it was like, hey, you know, we have a problem here. There's, we don't have a beginner friendly skate park. The skate park we have right now is like this, you have, it's like this deep lunar curve. You got to drop into this pool. And how do people get started with, with um with uh something like that and you know my, my colleagues were like ah what's this i think about a skate park what's this, what's what's great talking about this term of the skate park why do people need it right and well if you have kids you kind of understand right you, and do, you talk to yeah. your kids your friends uh, uh your kids friends you start realizing yeah that's actually a real real big need here right how um, do you do that fine line how do you balance that so how do you balance the line of representing asian americans mm-hmm. um but at the same time, understanding the majority of your constituents, which yeah. really kind of can't relate to, uh, they can relate to it basically on the news and what they hear. Yeah. And unless they're going out of their way to learn about the experience, um, you know, they have other concerns. So how are you kind of merging that so that one group doesn't feel alienated as you run? Because I think that's also been a fine line for me as well. Sure. Uh, when I ran, it was more like one, I'm African-American, two, I'm a Republican, three, I'm running in a liberal district, you know, but yeah. at the same time, I wanted everyone to be clear on what my message was. And it yeah. wasn't to alienate one group over the other, but yeah. it was important for me to, I mean, acknowledge it, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I yeah. walk in a room and you can see I'm black. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, what am I going to do? Hide from it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. how are you? how are you balancing that fine line as far yeah. as uh inclusivity yeah i i 
tend to be fairly independent in terms of how mm-hmm. I vote. I, or, or the way I, I, the lens I use is I think about what is the greatest good? How do we get the greatest good? And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people don't necessarily think of it that way. They think about like, oh, um, this is how my my party or, you know, we don't have parties in right. the city council, but we have factions, right? And like, this is how my faction thinks. So I'm going to support only people from my <laughs> faction, not from your faction. But to me, it's it's kind of a missed opportunity. I think as elected officials, we should do what's best for the greatest number of people. And even if it's not your idea, or even if it's like someone else's, a different faction or a different party's idea. Mm-hmm. And um, but that doesn't tend to happen. Like, I mean, if I look at my current representative, she's pretty much a party line Democrat, but there's some good ideas from the Republican party. And there's some good ideas from the Democratic party. And we should take whatever is the best idea, whether it's from your party or not your party and, and run with it. So there are people who, who are my, like my political enemy, so to speak, right? People who, <laughs> who ran against me and, you know, and so, but sometimes they have good ideas and I'll still support it because not, and I, I don't, say, oh, because it's their idea, I'm not going to support it. It's like bad. But sometimes they have good ideas. If it is good, I'll embrace it. So you know, how many people are running um, in your category against you? Oh, well, so I got reelected in November, last November. So uh-huh. last, last November, there were um, like 10 people running. Um, I mean, so, for, for Congress. So oh, for do Congress. you know of anyone else who's running yeah. right now? Yeah, the incumbent's running. So she's, uh-huh. I, I think this will be, you know, her 30th year in Congress, something like that. Um, and then, yeah, and she's then, loaded. Uh, well, it, it was kind of interesting. She never, like, so for me, I've mainly been working, but she's never really held something outside of a political job, like, you know, some sort of, so she hasn't held, held a, let's say we call it a real job before. Um, but, um, and then there's another person who's also a city council member that's, um, also running. He, he ran last time and he's running again this time. So those are the people oh, wow. I know running, but there's okay. probably gonna be a few others running, but when's the cool. deadline for you guys? Well, just redistricting. So in December, um, uh, the, the, redist- the districts got redrawn. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think it's like March of next year is when you can. You oh, know. okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's, so there's a lot of time. Really good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. You're you're getting everything done now, and it's good that a lot of people know you, know your work ethic. Um, I think that's uh, definitely one of the things I had to really um, struggle with when I first ran because mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't know me like mm-hmm. nobody knew me in the yeah. political arena at yeah. all yeah. um so I think that's great that you're doing that um and then also as we talk about your constituents um uh, what is it that you have that's going to what is it without giving away everything sure. but what is it that you have that is different from your incumbent well I, I think one thing is perspective right so um, so I'm, I'm not a career politician, right? I mean, I do city council mainly, it's mainly a volunteer position. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I work full time, you know, I run a small company, I have kids in school. Um, I've always really worked, you know, I, I never, you know, running, being a politician is not really my main job. It's been my hobby. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that perspective is really important. Um, I, I think if you look at, district it's very tech heavy you know it's silicon valley oh, okay um so i run mm-hmm. a tech startup i'm an electrical engineer computer science uh major been mainly in technology my whole career and that's largely what this area is about the silicon valley is about and um you know the incumbent's not doesn't have that kind of background i think she went to community college or something like that but there's not not a not a tech background for sure um and but if you look at a lot of the things that congress a lot of the legislation that congress is thinking about 
it has to do with like Section 230, which is, you know, um, you know, indemnification in terms of um, like enabling social media, or it's having to do with um, some of the antitrust with with uh, some of the tech companies here, right? Or it's having to do with that really is important, yeah. yeah. So it's a lot of a lot of stuff around technology and, and companies in our district, and I think um, having a good understanding, like basically like thinking, having a good understanding about the technology, about the business ecosystem here. Um, so the way I kind of think of myself is kind of like a legislator for the digital age. Like so, oh, that's know, great. I love it. Yeah. So that, that's how I kind of think of myself because it's um, a lot of the legislation now is around that. You know, I, I, would, I, I didn't, on my bucket list, I didn't have running for Congress on one of them, right? That wasn't, <laughs> I, 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 never, I never really aspired to be a politician. But after I run my reelection, um, a lot of my supporters approached me and asked me, hey, Greg, you should really look at running for Congress, right? Yeah. And I, I really didn't follow Congress that closely or my current representative that closely. Um, and so, I, but a lot of people like say, hey, you really need to look at this. Um, and I, I think a lot of people were feeling the pain of the pandemic um, yeah. and wondering, hey, where's our representative on this, right? And also there's, there's kind of like a strong anti-business vibe going on. I mean, a lot, of, mm-hmm. a lot of companies in Silicon Valley are moving out. So like HP, Hewlett Packard and you know, Palantir, a bunch of companies are moving out. And so there's this strong anti-business vibe going on. And to me, having a strong economy is essential. It's like job one, you know, enabling people to be financially successful, to be able to sustain for their family. Um, is really, really important to, to have a better future than they had themselves is really important. Yeah. You know, my, I grew, my, my dad never finished high school. So I, I grew up rather poor, right? And now I live in Palo Alto, which is one of the wealthier cities in the country. And so you, it's, it's possible to go from almost nothing to something if you work hard, right? And I think for enabling a strong economy is really important. And a lot of the, um, my supporters were like, hey, you know, we have this incredible anti-business vibe going on right now. We, we need someone here who, who can really try to promote economic, economic vitality. And, and so I, I started looking into it and I realized, oh, wow, they're right. <laughs> you know, they're really, they're really needs. Um, because I'm, I'm like a small business owner, right? And um, a lot of small business, a lot of retailers here um, got wiped out, right? I mean, there's stats oh, yeah. saying that you know, 60% of retailers aren't going to reopen, right? Physical stores aren't, aren't going to reopen. And so, what's being done for this, right? How do we, how do we, how do we ensure that that the businesses can come back, right? Um, and you know, if you look at the S and P 500, a lot of that comes from companies that were just startups at one point. And now are now major yeah. companies, right? And how do we how do we make sure this economic engine continues? Because if I look at Japan versus the United States, Japan's economy has been stagnant for many decades now. And one of the re- big reasons is because they don't have startups, right? They they really they have these really old companies, companies that have been around for hundred thousand years, and they don't have the startups. They don't have the Silicon Valley startups like, that we have. And what's neat about our our country is that you know the old companies fail, but then there's these new companies that take their place, and they're even you know, they're even create even more value. Like you look at mm-hmm. like SpaceX, you look at like you know, Tesla, you look at like Apple, you know, all these companies that didn't necessarily exist 50 years ago, but have a incredible amount of, of, of value in our economy. And I think that's really important is having this, having this um, strong entrepreneurship culture, um, enabling to start companies here. Um, enabling them to be successful, I think is really important. And so I, I don't really, I'm not really a fan of, um, 
I mean, I, I, it kind of saddens me to see a lot of companies move out of Silicon Valley, right? Where a lot mm-hmm. of the best startups now aren't, aren't coming from Silicon Valley. And it kind of saddens me because I, I think this is a lost opportunity. And so for me, this is what what made me step up is that I, I think that we need we need to keep this economic engine going. And I don't, I don't think I don't think business is evil. I don't think technology is evil. I think it's been incredibly enabling. And uh, I mean, it's it's lifted. It's, it's no, I mean, value. I I think people who think that way and think business is evil are the people that um, you know have ingrained as far as not really uh, that entrepreneurial spirit, mm-hmm. you know, because I really do think that everyone has a gift and everyone has a gift that um, you've been given so that you can provide for yourself, basically. So everyone has it in them. I think it's really hard. You do need people who are really good employees. And some people, you know, kudos to people who really go to work to make the company better. You know, they do not want the extra stress of running a business. They have no problem with helping you run your business, Um, you know, but they just don't want the extra stress of it. They have a family. They'll focus on that. Maybe when the opportunity presents itself later. Um, So kudos to to your constituents, anyone who is at that point, because all businesses need really strong employees as well. Um, And I just hope that you know, people understand that businesses are not evil. I think it's what you see on the news. Uh, I also think when you talk about running for office and the importance of it is because of subjects like this, when you run for office, you really get a, a really good understanding as far as what is, you know, I hate to say it, fake news and what's not, you yeah. know, things don't rattle you as much when you really are inside and you get how things work. I mean, there's a lot, you know, there are people who are mean, there are people who are great, there are people who, you know, it's a game. It's it's literally like a game of chess sometimes when you run for office. But yeah. you also understand that, um, you really understand that, wow, there's so much that the public does not understand about how information is presented to sway their minds about business is evil, you know, and those are the people that have to like, people have to be smarter than that. People have to really make up their own minds and not really rely so much uh, maybe on the general aspect of media and news, but you also have to understand where that news is coming from. Um, You have to really do the research. You have to read, you know, you just really have to do people have, I really implore people to really research whatever topic that you're interested in that you hear on the news and one side is saying something over the other side, then pretty much, you know, that the information being given to you is made to sway your opinion. Um, And I, I, that's the part I don't like. Um, And then people ask me now, like, why aren't you upset about that? I'm like, no, (laughs) because I went to congress.gov and read the whole bill. You know, I, I, I know exactly what I think is right for this or what my opinion is going to be or Mm -hmm. what I'm going, why I'm going to vote for it because I read the entire thing, you know, and then what you saw in the news was part of the truth. But what really is out there is, Hey, there's a reason why they're saying this or that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really want people to start doing and really using their noggin and taking the time to really research information. Um, And that's what this podcast is about. I just want to bring information to people, you know, um, hopefully it'll be more um, uh, curious 
about what it's like to run for office, look you up. Maybe they have friends in California. Maybe they have friends in Palo Alto. It's like, hey, there's a guy named Greg. Go look him up, that kind of thing. So um, how can people find out more about you and um, and your platform? Have you rolled out your your congressional media stuff yet? Yeah, so it's just Um, Mm gregtanaka.org. So you go to gregtanaka.org. We have a website up. Um, you know, one thing is I'm, I'm really into transparency. So we have a pretty active Facebook page. We have like, I, I have, I have, I hold office hours every Sunday where I try to hear oh, nice. perspectives from every side. So I, on every issue, I try to hear the people who are for it and people who are against it. And I found that to be the healthiest versus just listen to, listen to one side. Because like you said, you got to know the truth. And I, I think the way to get to the truth is you hear both sides argue the, the, it's kind of like a, a court. You kind of hear both sides argue. And then you can figure out what's the truth. If you only read one thing. You don't know. And in fact, that's mm-hmm. one of the things also is that, um, you know, the current representative was trying to push for um, censoring um, certain mm-hmm. news outlets. Like they wanted, she, she didn't want like Fox News to be carried on, on Comcast anymore, right? It's, no, we know what that's about. I yeah, mean. So, yeah but, but, but to me, it's like, um, you want to hear both sides. I mean, this is why I try right. to my, and what I do is I, I want to hear both sides. Even people I just, in fact, I learn more from people I disagree with than when I people with that. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. So, and, and it's so, a, it, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's, it's important to hear the counterpoint. And so I, I, I mean, I'm really into transparency, really into like freedom of speech, just because I think people are able to make better decisions that way. And, mm-hmm. um, and so anyways, I, I, um, so you could go to, you could go to my webpage, greatturnock.org um, and see kind of like um, what my platform was for my congressional, for my, um, city council campaign as well yeah, as it's my a great page campaign. it's, it's really you. great and so they can find oh you're even on tiktok okay <laughs> tiktok yeah all right now greg yeah okay and then um yeah we have a large donate on top the red mm-hmm. cut donate so uh, yeah definitely need support i mean you know as well yeah. office it's i mean you don't you can live anywhere not necessarily you know here even in california anywhere is good um and we have people helping on the campaign everywhere um, I love the fact that you actually ran for Congress. I, I think it's important to get involved in way, one way, shape, or form. Um, mm-hmm. Especially younger people need to get involved because I think our politics in general in our country are really dominated by older people, which, which is great. But I think more diversity is really important. Having diversity of ideas is really important. Yeah. So I just want to encourage everyone to get involved in some way, shape, or form. I, I agree. Um, thank you again for joining us, Mr. Kanata. I really appreciate it. Remember to use the power that you have on your platform to just make the world a better place.